Thanks for tuning in. This edition of Outcasting will begin in a few moments. Outcasting is produced by Media for the Public Good, formerly WDFH Westchester Public Radio, non-commercial, non-profit, and volunteer-powered. One of the things that makes a show like Outcasting possible is financial support from listeners like you. Please visit us at mfpg.org and click on Support to make your tax-deductible contribution. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. And now, Outcasting. When I was a freshman in college, I'd finally come out of the closet. I was going through that super gay phase where everything I did was uber flamboyant, drawing as much attention to the fact that I was gay. Then, uh, I found a Time Magazine article about grid. This is Outcasting. Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York, online at mfpg.org. Hi, I'm Josh. On this edition of Outcasting, we'll be hearing an abridged version of the play Queering History, written by Maggie Keenan-Bolger in collaboration with LGBTQ homeless youth. The play focuses on the general absence of LGBTQ curriculum in our public schools. Enjoy! Lights up on a high school history classroom. Ms. Supnik, the classroom teacher, pulls out a large book with the title, The History of the World. We're going to start on page 13 at the beginning of American history with the great colonizer Christopher Columbus. You hear all these stories about how bad high school was for gay kids? And I don't know, it wasn't ever good for me, but it wasn't bad either. I was certainly not popular. I mean, I had people to sit with at lunch, but it's not like I felt like I could actually tell them anything about me. I was out, yes, but not too out. My favorite teacher that year was Miss Supnik. She taught history and had such a passion for the stuff. You could just see her going off in her head to these things that happened way before any of us was alive. It was fun to see, but I wanted that connection too. None of the people she talked about were people I understood. They're all so old and stuffy and straight. Not that any of those things are bad, but I wanted to see people who looked like me. I mean, Miss Supnik always said that history was supposed to show you how you fit in with the rest of the world. But I don't know anything about where I came from. So how could I fit in? What was the point? Where was my history? How was I supposed to exist in the world if I didn't even know what being queer looked like? In 1519, the first pandemic struck Hispaniola because of the diseases brought over by the Europeans. Emma slams her history book closed and it omits a cloud of dust. Fairy dust. Emma coughs and tries to wave it away. As her vision clears, she sees a man, dressed fashionably but with fairy wings and a wand, entering from the back of the house. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, excuse me, pardon me. Ooh, hello, sir. Emma is looking around frantically, trying to figure out why she seems to be the only one who sees this man in fairy wings coming towards her. Um, I'm sorry, who are you? Oh, hello, Emma. I am Kinsey Scale, the fairy queen, and I'm here to queer your history. Uh, okay, but how do you know my name? And where did you come from? I appreciate your right to be who you are, but if my friends see you, I'm going to end up dead. Yes, Miss Emma, I know. But listen to me. As to who or what I am, this has um, taken years of refinement. Don't think I just hopped out of bed the way I am. I had to earn my fairy wings. 
Okay, but isn't that a little stereotypical? Girl, where I come from, there is no such thing. Where are you from? All in good time. But what matters here is you. I am not here to embarrass you. In fact, I'm here to make your life just a little bit easier. You're here to help me? With what? Being gay? Not exactly. But I think you'll like what I have in store. It all takes a little fairy dust and... Kinsey sprinkles the classroom with fairy dust. Now many of the traditions and values of the Native Americans were wiped out with the Europeans. As the fairy dust hits her, Miss Supnik breaks out of her history-induced trance and begins to look around. Oh, oh, my, such glitter! She sees Kinsey. I... well... You don't look like a high schooler. Who are you? What are you doing here? Why are you in my history class? Let's just say I'm here to help. A fellow historian, if you will. A fellow historian? Well, I love a good history lesson. Well, good. Because I'm here to spice things up a little. Give them a good shaking. To queer the usual methods, if you will. Oh, goody. A guest speaker. Please, please, go ahead. Well... It just so happens that the little history book you seem so content to read out of could use a little something. My history book? What's wrong with it? I've been teaching out of it for the last 20 years. It's remarkably accurate. Accurate, maybe. Inclusive? Nuh-uh. Why don't you just hand it to me? What? What? Hand it to me. On the last syllable, Kinsey sweeps the book out of Miss Supnik's tight grasp. Before the astonished Miss Supnik can say or do anything, Kinsey sprinkles it with fairy dust and it transforms into a brightly colored, sparkly version of the history of the world. He then opens it to the front. Hmm, let's see, where to begin with? Ah, yes, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. Colonization, Native American traditions. Aha, here we are. Now, this is not a well-known fact. But one of the Native American traditions that was wiped out because of the Europeans was the two-spirit people. Two-spirit people? Individuals who identified into a third gender role. That's not in my history book. Kinsey hands her the book. Miss Supnik reads. Two-spirit is an umbrella term sometimes used for what the disdainful Europeans referred to as the bare dashes, They wore clothes and performed work that was usually associated with both genders, male and female. Yes, that's it! What? That's what this class is missing. We get to learn about all these straight white guys, but there's never anyone like me. Like you? You know. Hmm? Like me. Brunette? Female? Five foot tall? No. Gay. What? Gay! Ah! Yes! Gay, queer, lesbian, sapphist, fur trader, sapaholic. Right. All I want is to have the same boring old facts taught about gay history that are taught about the presidents and the war and the stupid Boston Tea Party. Is that too much to ask? I'm afraid I'm speechless. Perhaps my book, he's missing one or two things here and there. Well, you're in luck. It just so happens I have a whole team here to help us out. Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between, introducing my gaggle of gays. Perhaps you've heard of them. Ellen Degenerate. Hi. Rude Paul. Hello. Oscar Wilder. Cheers. 
What which woman? Yes. And Audrey lorded over. Hey. The gaggle of gays, all of, are we. Rude Paul. Wilder. Wit woman. And me, Audrey lorded over. Ellen degenerate. We're here, we're queer. History we venerate. Perhaps you've noticed an unusual quirk. We speak in rhyme. It's how we work. It seems to me this class could use a little shaking up. Gaggle, I believe it's time for a brief outline of LGBTQ history in three minutes or less. Throughout the piece, the gaggle performs by switching costume pieces and deftly acting out the different characters. They have very clearly done this before and enjoy every second of it. More than just letters, LGBTQ, so much history is embedded in you. In 600 BC, Sappho of Lesbos wrote that, Love is a limb loosener that sweeps me away, while Emperor Nero of Rome had two husbands in his day. His countryman Julius Caesar might have asked for your ear, but only wanted his beloved King Nicodemus near. Through the canons of antiquity, more examples of LGBTQ love doth exist, from Alexander the Great to even, some say, John the Baptist. During the Italian Renaissance, much has been known about the love da Vinci, Leonardo, and other Ninja Turtles had shown. But what of Sister Bendetta, whose fight with the Pope over her lover, Sister Bartoloma, gave others hope? From Lady Boutler, who married Lady Hunt, they went on the lamb, to King James I, who knighted his lover, the Earl of Buckingham. Shakespeare dedicated Sonnet 126 to his groomsmen, O thou my lovely boy, and for nearly all his characters, cross-dressing brings them joy. Western literature was indeed shaped by those who loved through closed doors. Herman Melville wrote to Nate Hawthorne, Your heart beat in my ribs and mine in yours. Edna Saint Vincent Millay, marked of love in her day. She loves me all that she can, and her ways to my ways resign. But she was not made for any man, and she never will be all mine. Emma Goldman preached in Union Square. Bessie Smith sang notes no one had dared. Alan Turing broke codes. James Baldwin wrote odes. Frida Kahlo painted vibrant visions. G.H. Hardy revealed nuclear fission. Christine Jorgensen transitioned in the public eye. Hate crime laws were passed in Uruguay. Frank Kemney was the first out candidate in Washington, D.C., while Sweden's the first to offer free hormone therapy. And finally, in 1973, with pressure from every border, the American Psychiatric Association removed homosexuality as a mental disorder. History is still being written, so keep your pen close at hand. There are many unjust laws that still exist in this land. Because more than just letters, LGBTQ, so much history is embedded in you. A white, preppy girl in a cheerleader's uniform, Jenny, emerges from the students. Well, if we're going to talk about things that were ignored in our community, we need to talk about the AIDS crisis. Wait, whoa, hold on a second. You're a cheerleader. You date a male football player. There is no way you're gay. Oh, Emma. Yes, I'm closeted now. But 15 years from now, you and I will see each other across a crowded bar in San Francisco, our matching asymmetrical haircuts drawing the other in. And it will only be hours later that after a blissful session of things far too marvelous to be recounted in mixed company, that we realize we went to high school together. I make out with you? 
this is the best day of my life. This is the best day of your life so far. The real one is yet to come. That's right, Emma. You can't tell a book by its cover. Like I was saying, AIDS crisis? Another student, Brandon, steps out. The AIDS crisis? Yes. Our history can be funny and campy. There's a lot of that, but it's not always so simple. AIDS isn't just a gay thing, you know. I'm tired of it being so tied up to our community. Right. AIDS doesn't only affect gay people, but in the 80s, it hit our community the hardest. She's right, Brandon. Chapter 3. Check it out. When I was a freshman in college, I'd finally come out of the closet. I was going through that super gay phase where everything I did was uber flamboyant, drawing as much attention to the fact that I was gay. I guess, because I had hit it for so long, I wanted to make my coming out epic. And it worked for a while. I found people like me, people who were as excited to be out as I was, and within a couple of months, I started having sex with men for the first time. It was like this otherworldly experience. You know, I'd spent so long fake smiling and grunting through sex with girls that the realization I could actually enjoy sex it was not just a relief, it was bliss. <laughs> then, uh, on November 7th, I still remember the date, I found a Time Magazine article about GRID, gay-related immune deficiency. There had been rumblings about it among some of my friends, but I hadn't paid too much attention. I can remember being so excited to see something that was actually about gay people. Finally, we were being represented. But then I read the article. Turns out there was this disease that was killing us. People like me were getting deathly sick with an uncurable illness that was being totally ignored by Ronald freaking Reagan. There was this picture in the magazine of a Carposi sarcoma lesion, and my mind immediately went to a new mole I had just gotten on my stomach. I mean, I freaked out. This mole, it meant I had AIDS. It meant I was sick and dying too. I, I thought if I could just get it out of me, if I could make it go away, then I could somehow escape this thing, this, this killer. I don't really remember what happened next, but my roommate found me in the bathroom covered in blood. I tried to cut the mole out of my stomach. My roommate took me to the hospital, and they patched me up. After that, I never got back the super pride and easy flamboyance from those first couple of months I was out. Maybe it's just because I got older and wiser, but, you know, maybe not. But of all the introductions to the gay community, I wouldn't recommend that one to anyone. This is Outcasting, public radio's LGBTQ youth program where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of media for the public good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York, online at mfpg.org. On this episode, we are listening to an abridged version of the play Queering History, written by Maggie Keenan-Bolger in collaboration with LGBTQ homeless youth. The play focuses on the general absence of LGBTQ curriculum in our public schools. Where we left off, Brandon was talking about coming out for the first time in college and contracting GRID, gay-related immune deficiency, today known as AIDS. Why would you show me that, Kinsey? I thought it was going to be some great story about overcoming triumph, but he never got his excitement back, and he ended up bleeding on his bathroom floor. Listen, Emma, I know it's hard, but it's part of our history. 
Just because it's not pretty doesn't mean it shouldn't be told. Listen, you asked me when I was from before, and well, it's kind of hard to explain. But let's just say, I get you. Trust me. All of the fabulousness and sass you see before you was lost on most of my emphatically breathing classmates in high school. There is nothing more threatening than a radical feminist gay boy with killer fashion sense. So, what, you got beat up? Yep, beat up, tormented, and more. Eventually, the kids in my school decided they'd do better without me there to question their masculinity. They killed you? Not a pretty story, I know, but something good did come out of it. For every act of homophobic bullying, violence, and murder, a queer fairy gets his wings. It's how the universe balances things out. For every bad, ignorant thing that goes on, something fabulously fierce is produced. Is that why you are the way you are? Are you referring to my gait? My fashion choices? My flamboyance, if you will? Yes. As a queer kid, you only get one impression of what gay men are like, and this was my impression. I would have given my favorite Gucci purse to be able to live this way and be this person in high school. Since I couldn't back then, I do it now. What you call a stereotype, I call making up for lost time. Wow. Well, you'd think that we'd stop manifesting, you guys. I mean, there's anti-bullying legislation in most places, and people here get in trouble when they beat up other kids. Being hurt as a queer kid doesn't mean just getting beat up. There's a lot more to it than that. Like teachers ignoring gay slurs or comments, or even using them themselves. Carson, a transgendered student, steps forward. Like being forced to dress in the women's locker room or the men's locker room, or line up according to boy or girl. Like not being able to touch your friends because then everyone will think that they're gay, too. Another student steps forward, Anita. She's been flipping furiously through the queered history book and holds it up to show the other students the chapter she's found. Like kids failing out of school because they've been kicked out for coming out and not having systems to give them safe, happy places to go. Anita reads from the book. Each night in New York City, a minimum of 3,800 youth are homeless, more than half of whom identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. My family was incredibly tight-knit. We did everything together. We never had much money, but we would take trips to the beach just outside the city, put blankets together, and spend all summer eating peanut butter sandwiches and wading in the ocean. My mom got sick when I was 10 and everything changed. We stopped going to the beach, and my dad had to work three jobs to pay the hospital bills. I was the one who took care of my sisters mostly, and they hated it. We would have screaming matches about who was supposed to take out the garbage, do the dishes, or clean up the lawn. Mom died when I was 13. Once she was gone, our home turned into a boot camp. My dad wouldn't let us do anything but go to school and church. Church was the worst. He'd yell at me to put on a dress. I'd ignore him. He'd yell at me more, ask me what the big freaking deal was. It was a dress. Every other girl was wearing them. I would just stare at him, not answering. He thought I was being fresh by not answering, but really, I had no idea myself. I had never met a trans person before, and I had no idea that we even existed. So all I knew was that there was something wrong with me, and that I didn't want to wear the stupid dress. I came out to him as a lesbian. 
and he told me that I was going to burn in hell. Told me he couldn't have me in the house with my sisters and told me to find someplace else to stay. I couch-hopped with friends for a while till I couldn't stand it anymore. Eventually, I found a guy who took me in. It was better than being on the streets, but he made it pretty clear that I had to have sex with him if I wanted to stay. So I did. I missed my sisters. I worried my dad wouldn't know how to take care of the youngest one when she had bad dreams. I tried to catch them before they went into school sometimes, but he had obviously told them something so they wouldn't talk to me. And they didn't. It was on the streets that I first met other trans kids. I'd been out as a lesbian for a while, but it still felt wrong and uncomfortable. I used to watch the other trans guys from afar to see how they did it. Finally, I got up the courage to talk to one of them. I begged him to help me out. I must have drove him nuts because finally, after making sure that, yes, this is what I really wanted, he gave me my first binder for my chest and taught me the tricks for how to pack in a way that didn't just look like balled up socks in your pants. I took to it pretty quickly, but the guy I was living with hated it. He told me if he wanted a faggot to sleep with, he would have found one, so I had to leave. I tried the shelters, but those were even worse. They made me stay in the women's section. And every time I walked in, I could feel the women glaring at me. What was this twink doing in their area? People in the shelters have a lot of aggression they need to take out on somebody. And I was the 90-pound kid in boys' clothes. An easy target. After a couple of months, I was one of the few kids allowed into a homeless program just for LGBT youth. My life wasn't magically fixed, but at least I could stop watching my back for two seconds. Stop worrying about getting beat up and focus on getting my life back together. That place saved me. No one expects us to amount to anything, really. But I managed to get out of the system. I've got a job now, a partner. And two weeks ago, I got a phone call. I didn't recognize the number, but I picked up anyway, and it was my sister. I could tell she was scared to talk to me, but I was so glad to hear her voice. I'm still really angry with her and my dad and everything, but just the fact that she called meant so much. I told her about my transition, and I still don't think she agrees with my lifestyle, but we're meeting for coffee tomorrow. I'm terrified. And excited. LGBT youth homelessness isn't pretty, and it's not fun, but it's real. We're real. If our community could put as much effort into supporting us as they do in supporting gay marriage, maybe we could make some progress. Not saying marriage isn't important, but, you know, it just seems secondary to finding a place to call home. Yes, this is all so true and important, but you're killing me with the dramatics. What about the joy of being LGBTQ? What about the fierceness in our community, the, the tenacity of our people? Yeah, why can't we just do the obvious thing and help each other out? We need to stop worrying about what other people think and just be who we are. Uh, I'm sorry. What was that last thing you just said? We need to stop worrying about what other people think and just be who we are? Ah, so simple a solution. So difficult in practice. Is that why you chose me? To show me how to be who I am? Partially, yes. 
and in some ways it was just the luck of the draw. Not everyone is as lucky as you. The most LGBTQI LNMNOP kids go through their lives never realizing the people who came before them. If they are lucky enough to figure it out, they spend the rest of their lives wishing they'd known it earlier. Well, I'm afraid it's about that time. What time? Time for me to sashay away. What? But you just started. There's so much more to think about, to talk about. What about Hispanic gay rights? The firehouse? Proposition 8, you can't have a gay history lesson without talking about Proposition 8. Well, you can't expect me to cover everything gay under the sun in a mere half hour. But that's not fair. I want to know, and there's no one else who's going to tell me this stuff. Maybe not directly, but it's all around you. Oh, so you expect me to get through high school just looking at subtext? You can't just throw these things at me and then leave me hanging. Listen, I understand. It's hard now, but... What? It gets better? Yeah, that's what they all say. And that's nice for ten years from now when it actually is better, but what about now? What am I supposed to do now? Emma, 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 stop. You're stronger than you think. And your community is out there, I promise. You're not the only person sitting in high school class wishing for something more, something better. Just look around you. I'm here. Me too. We all are. We're not out yet, but we get it. And we look up to you. To me? Right now, in high school, you're already what I can only dream of becoming. You're changing people without even knowing it, just by being you. It's hard, we know, your peers. They may seem few. But stand on our shoulders. Because our history, it's in you. And when things get really rough, remember, in ten years, you're going to have a night neither of us will ever forget. And at that, I must go on. Oh, look! My bubble! It's here! Bubble? Like, in The Wizard of Oz? You've got to be kidding me. I never kid, kid. Just remember, our history is in you. Goodbye! Kinsey gets into his bubble, which, yes, does oddly resemble Glinda's in The Wizard of Oz. Lights change as Kinsey flies off stage, throwing fairy dust all over everything, returning it to its previous state. The only thing not affected, it seems, is Emma. Miss Supnik is nearing the end of her lesson for the day. So those are all of the things the Native American culture lost because of the arrival of Christopher Columbus. What about the two spirit people? The what? The two spirit people? They fulfilled mixed gender roles. At the mention of this, Carson, now pre-transition, perks up, as do the rest of the students in the class. Mixed gender roles? Yeah, you know. Emma looks around for Kinsey, hoping for help. Not seeing him, she looks pleadingly at the other queer students, only to see that they are hanging on to her every word. All except for Jenny, who looks uncomfortable, clearly wanting to cover up her own sexuality. Pfft, mixed gender roles. What is this, some dyke vendetta? Now hold on, Jenny. I don't care who it applies to. It's part of our history. And I believe the term you're looking for is lesbian, not dyke. Please go on, Emma. This sounds incredible. I can't believe it's not in my book. Lights slowly fade, with Emma explaining two-spirit people to the class. Miss Supnik is thrilled to see someone else as excited about history as she is. Brandon, Carson, and Anita are listening intently, hanging on to Emma's every word. And in the corner, we see Jenny, in her cheerleader's outfit, slowly but surely falling.
falling in love. We've been listening to an abridged version of the play Queering History, written by Maggie Keenan-Bolger in collaboration with LGBTQ homeless youth. The play focuses on the general absence of LGBTQ curriculum in our public schools. On the next edition of Outcasting, we'll be talking with Maggie about the play and about her work with LGBTQ youth in the New York City Division of Green Chimneys, which works to create a safe space for LGBTQ youth who are in foster care or are homeless. Thanks to the actors who participated in this reading, Maggie Keenan-Bolger, Rhea Cooper, Liz Parker, Tim Connell, Janelle Shaloon, Nathan Gregory, Kristen Benjamin, and Shay O'Born. That's it for this edition of Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. This program was produced by the Outcasting team, including youth participants Lester, Nicole, Sydney, Travis, and me, Josh. Our executive producer is Mark Sofis. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York. More information about Outcasting is available at mfpg.org. You'll find information about the show, listen links for all Outcasting episodes, and the podcast link. Connect with us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. I'm Josh. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. If you enjoyed this edition of Outcasting, please make a tax-deductible gift to Media for the Public Good. We can't do programs like this without your support. Visit mfpg.org and click on support. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. Thanks.